Hey there, language lovers. I'm Shannon Kennedy, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And today we are chatting with Damon of Damon and Joe fame. Damon shares a lot of really great tips for language learners, particularly for French. With Damon, we talk about going from traveler to travel vlogger, learning languages to build connections, teaching without lecturing, how to find confidence teaching and building an online presence, dating and navigating relationships in other languages, personality and personas and how they adapt in other languages and how languages offer you a new perspective and can shape who you are. And of course, if you enjoy the Language Hacking Podcast, please leave us a review. You can do so at languagehacking.com slash review. It'll not only help us know what you'd like more of, but it'll also help other learners find us. So without any further ado, let's get into our chat with Damon. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 45. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hey there, language lovers. I'm Shannon Kennedy, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And today we are chatting with Damon of Damon and Joe fame, but he's also a successful solo online personality in his own right. Damon shares a lot of great language learning tips, particularly for French. So let's get into his story. All right, Damon, let us know. How did you get started with languages? Wow. How did I get started with languages? Um, I got started with languages because I grew up in Indiana and we had to choose between French and Spanish. And I think like most Americans, I kind of listened to what everybody else said and they said, you know, choose Spanish. So I took Spanish and um, I wanted to take every language possible. You know, there was Latin, there was German, there was French, there was Spanish. But as a high school student, you could only take one. So I took Spanish, um, loved it, loved everything about it, loved that I could kind of like pierced this filter that was two cultures not being able to understand. And there was like one person, I guess, an interpreter, a translator that could kind of be this like person who has magic powers, who could communicate with everybody. And that really intrigued me. So from there, I started learning French as well outside of my high school. And I mean, from there, geez, I started studying abroad. I went to Spain when I was 16. And that really, that really like opened my eyes to travel. And I guess that's kind of what um, influenced me to want to do the career that I do today, which is make travel videos. Okay. And, uh, how did you get into transitioning from just traveling initially to then making travel videos? Well, when I started traveling, it was what, 2010 in YouTube, geez, having a career on YouTube was not, that was just not even a viable opportunity. That was not even a possibility. Um, so I was making videos just for the fun of it. I always liked to see a project, um, from start to finish. Um, I was always pretty a visual. I was always, I was leaning more towards design and the visual arts and things like that. And so as I was traveling around for, yeah, the first time around 2010, 2011, um, I started picking up a camera and making just little mini videos. They were dumb videos, you know, like they were just videos that were going to go on Facebook to show my friends and family how to travel around Europe or how I was traveling around Europe. That was always the question on everybody's mind. How are you doing this, Damon? You're from the trailer parks in Indiana, literal trailer park in Indiana. So how are you, how are you traveling around Europe? Like you're not from money, you know? So I picked up the camera, whipped up something that I thought looked good. And uh, geez, over time, well, what, it's 2021, 20, over 10 years, I managed to make it a career. And how has language learning and sharing language tips kind of fit into this whole thing? 
Um, well, I was always intrigued by languages and travel. And so the more that I traveled and the more that I learned languages, the more I wanted to learn even more, the more I realized how much I didn't know about the rest of the world, how much I could learn more of. So, um, geez, the more I traveled, the more people I met. And it was always the people that kind of led me to the next language. Um, so Jesus started from Spanish. Then when I studied abroad in Spain, when I was 16, I met two, two really cool French girls who made me want to learn their language. And then from there I focused on French and then French took me to Paris. And it was in Paris where I met, um, my ex-boyfriend who then I lived with in Berlin. And then it was in Berlin that I met cool German people and made me want to learn German. So it's always been, when you look back at your life, it's just really interesting to kind of see how one event led to the next. And, um, it was, it's very clear now that I look back, which event triggered the next one and the next one and the next one. And also with which languages triggered the next languages. And so, of course, in, in Indiana, not everybody who takes Spanish magically becomes uh, fluent in it. And uh, there's a lot of people who take languages in the States and not really make that much progress. So what do you think was different about your story and what was your technique to be able to confidently use Spanish ultimately? Hmm. Well, let's think. People always seem to think I'm joking when I do say this. I well, I grew up in front of the TV. I mean, who doesn't? When you're younger, you're, you're in the household. There's nothing to do. Uh, when you, we didn't have the internet, so you just kind of like turn on the TV. And the station that I always turned to was MTV. And what was on MTV? A lot of people mud wrestling on the real world. <laughs> and the thing was, all the real world seasons are in different cities and in sometimes countries. And so, I mean, who knows if this is really what triggered my love for language and travel and seeing something other than what I know. But I really, that's kind of the one clear image in my mind of there was a new cast of new people and they were from different places in the world and they were all living together under one roof in a different city. And that was something that I always wanted to do. And so um, that was the first, that was the first, like, I guess, marker in my life that made me realize that I wanted to do something and travel. And then of course, when you travel, there's the language component. I wanted to, I wanted to see the rest of the world from their point of view. And, you know, you can't do that through a translated, translated English. Um, so it was really through my travels that made me want to really like learn the languages. So let's see when I was in high school. Yeah. I took Spanish only because everyone told me to take Spanish. Um, I really, my teachers were really, really fun. You know, they were very animated. They were very theatrical and they made language learning fun. Um, they inspired me to keep going. And I think there's something that I've, I've heard in language schools often. It's not so much that you have to go to the language school and really pick up the language. It's that you need to still, you need to maintain a sense of entertainment. Also, if you get bored while learning language, you're never going to learn it. So, um, I kind of look back at my first Spanish teachers who were so much fun. They made class so much fun. And I think that really made me want to keep going. And then even today, when I teach languages on my YouTube channel, of course, the goal is to teach, to educate, to teach, you know, the masses. But another part of it is to keep people entertained and make them make them feel like they're learning something, but also not being lectured to, you know, it, I think you'll really pick up a language when you can um, speak to somebody like your friend. And so that's really what I tried doing, just like my first Spanish teachers did in high school. I'd really love to know more about your approach to teaching and teaching a language without lecturing at people. So what are some of the techniques that you found to be really effective in teaching another language? So I used to teach French in Brooklyn. I taught for two years at a language school called Fluent City, right when they were starting off. And their whole their whole mission statement was 
you don't need to send me your resume with all the language studies that you've done. Send me a video of you teaching the language. And I was like, I got this. This is like, this is what I know how to do. So I turned the camera on. And at that point, again, I traveled, I'd traveled, I'd made goofy videos. I put them on Facebook. My friends and family were like, what are you doing over there? Um, So I knew how to really craft a video in my favor. So I used those skills to get me my, my job at the language school. And it was at the language school where again, it's every, <laughs> every event in my, my language learning career, I've picked up the same things. Maybe like the universe draws us all together. What they taught at this language school was right. 50% is to teach the language, but 50% is to keep everybody entertained, keep them. You're almost an actor, you know, Nobody wants to come to class if you're reading word for word from the textbook. So we need you to be translating song lyrics. We need you to come up with really funny examples from dating stories. We need all of the, the real life stuff so people can imagine themselves really living in in that language. Like that's one of the reasons I was drawn to your blog, Benny, in the first place, because you were actually in the country, you know, there for three months. You were integrating into the culture and only speaking the language. And I think Again, you have to make the language real. So when I was when I was teaching and when I now I guess I guess you could call it teaching. I don't I don't know. I guess it's called teaching on my YouTube channel. The main thing that I always go back to, the one saying is you have to sandwich the knowledge that you want people to get from the video. You have to sandwich it within the entertainment, within the humor. Because people or at least in my experience, maybe this is just me. You know, sometimes you're just not in the mood to to listen to the ER verb conjugations. Like, I don't want to look that up. But if you tell me a story, um, then maybe within that story, you could put in some some nuggets of knowledge there. And then through that process, I, I now learned ER verbs without really thinking that I needed to learn ER verbs. So I guess I guess just what it comes down to is my, my, general, my general theory on life is, I think I said it already. It was basically, I have something that I want to teach, but I kind of sandwiched it into my knowledge already, the knowledge that I the jokes and the humor. Did that make any sense? Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's uh, it's definitely a, an effective teaching approach, especially nowadays when, you know, people have shorter attention spans and uh, you kind of have to cater to that. And it's great to be entertaining and sandwich in something educational at the same time. And um, one thing that uh, like people who join our challenge, they have to, as part of it, they have to upload videos of themselves trying to use the language and I've made lots of videos online, but I've always kind of the idea of uh, more spontaneous vlogging. Uh, it's still something I struggle with. So, and uh, you know, I've I've come from a, a small enough acting background and such. So it's not just the confidence, but the like. What would you give to advice to people who would like to get into either vlogging or some form of uh, presenting themselves online? Uh, even if that's to educate people, like what would you say to them if they if they feel intimidated by that idea? Are you saying intimidated by the on camera aspect, or intimidated, or just, or they're just intimidated? Period. <laughs> just, like bo- both, because I'm like for my personal case, I'm not intimidated to be on camera, but um, I'm a lot more confident with something I might script ahead of time. Whereas if it's something spontaneous and with vlogging, especially. You make much longer form content. And for me, I I wouldn't, I would think I would run out of things to say. And for other people, there definitely is that lack of confidence that uh, they would feel like, you know, who would listen to me if I was sharing my story. So like for people in that situation, what advice would you give to them to become more confident to make videos or do something like vlogging? 
Yeah. I mean, this still happens today. I've been doing this now for 10 years, making YouTube videos and having a presence online. I think one of the ways in which people get kind of tripped up when they're trying to establish themselves online is that they think there's some sort of rule book. And yeah, even today when I was editing a video, I was editing and I was editing and then I was like, wait, there are literally no rules here. Like, Damon, what do you want to watch? Like, literally, what do you want to watch? Is that joke um, too, too risque for you? Or is it too risque for everyone else that you wouldn't really watch, you know, their content? So what are you, what do you really want to watch? And I think that's really important. And after, you know, decide making the cuts on what you want to include in your online persona, um, then it's the next step is just realize that no one else can do what you do like you. Of course, everyone can do what you do but they can't do it like you. And I think that's the, the main thing you have to keep in mind. So even today, as I edit my videos and I'm looking through the jokes and I'm looking through the teaching material, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, uh, yeah, but I probably shouldn't say that. And then I stop myself and I think, well, why not? Who, who told me that, that I can't say these things? And do I want their life? And most of the time the answer is no. So then I'm, I put myself into question. Je me remets en question. What do I... Like, what am I listening to them for? Like, who are that? Who are they to tell me what to do? And and also, who am I to tell anyone else to what to do? So, I think the two things to keep in mind: there are no rules to this any any career. Really, there are no rules. And then, two, nobody has the personality that you do because no one has had the the life that you've had, which is interesting in itself. I think a lot of people also get tripped up because they're like. Yeah, but what am I going to say? I'm not that interesting compared to everyone else online. Everyone else online has, you know, curated and tailored all the edits and all the posts to what they want people to see. Um, I do that as well. You know, this is what I want to make. This is what I put out. Um, but yeah, I think there are no rules. Do your thing. Um, it's not going to work at first. For me, it didn't either. Um, and that's like another phase that you have to push through. And then once it starts, you know, gaining traction, you'll be like, oh, right. Okay. See people, people are liking this. And, uh, in a way your personality or what you put out is validated and that feels good. Um, but then again, the next phase is, okay, let's keep reinventing. And then there's a new social media platform. Just as soon as you got used to the last one, the new one comes out. So it's all about adapting, knowing who you are. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from travel you know, putting yourself in different environments and realizing like, what is it that I really think? What is it that I really believe? Um, who am I? And uh, yeah, I just think the more that you know yourself, the more that you're confident with yourself and yourself in any situation really. So yeah, do you. You had just mentioned that you think a lot about the jokes that you tell in the videos. And one of the things about your teaching style is that you really like to implement your sense of humor, which I think is amazing. Um, but humor also can kind of play a, a role in your language learning and humor across different languages tends to be really different. So would you say that your sense of humor has had any sort of role in your language learning? Humor. Yes. Um, wow. Humor and language learning is tough. It, it is tough. When I first start learning a language, the number one thing that I do first is watch my favorite TV show of all time, which is Friends. Now, the good part about this is that I already know the storylines. I already know what jokes are going to come up. These, are, This is how I speak in English. How can I do this in French, in Portuguese, in Spanish, in German? Um, now, that's, that's great and all, but then sometimes you have humor that doesn't translate. So that's also interesting because as your language skills um, improve, 
you'll start to be able to pick out like, oh, wait, why didn't they translate that joke that way? Like, I would have translated this way. Does it not mean the same thing in a different language? So while you're watching these series that you kind of already know the plot lines, you are not only practicing your language skills, but you're also realizing like what is and what isn't funny in another culture. And I mean, even... Even today, I've, I've lived in Paris for so so many years. If I try to, you know, crack a joke, tell a little punchline in French, it's not every time that the French people are going to think it's funny. In fact, a lot of times they, they see Americans as being too animated, too exaggerated in their humor. Um, it's very, oh my God, they love saying this. American humor is first degree, meaning like somebody gets hit in the head with a, a volleyball and like we would think it's hilarious. It's very first degree, whereas French, I don't know, maybe they think that they're more superior in this sense. Like that's, that's an easy joke. And they want like, they're more on this mot, uh, jeu de mot, wordplay, because it shows that you've thought about it instead of just um, being hit in the head with a volleyball, which again, I still think is funny. Um, so learning, I mean, geez, I think it's the, the top level of fluency is being able to follow a comedian in the language. Because geez, when you're a stand-up comedian, one, you don't hold back on your language, which means that you're saying every controversial word out there. So that's also a hurdle you have to get over when learn language learning. And then two, they're speaking so fast, like really, really fast. So I think getting to that level is rough, but that's when you know your flow and you can understand a stand-up comedian in the language. And again, I can't all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And as well as injecting humor into the kind of videos that you've uploaded and even like as your teaching approach, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you might bring up a, a dating story to kind of illustrate a point in the language or just to kind of open up to your students in a different way. And have you found a challenge in that, that you'd be worried about uh, kind of putting your life out there on the internet and that people might judge you? And like, have you had any struggles with that? And um, I know it's like you were saying before, it's, it's your personality and that's that's what you're you're here to share but I'm sure there've been struggles in that. And have you, how have you dealt with that? Well, let's, let's see. There have been times when I've held back when making videos and it's, it was an interesting place to be because I would hold back in the video, like hold back certain stories that maybe I wanted to tell because people have always told me, um, Hey, maybe you don't want to put your personal life, you know, make it so public. And I always kind of listen to everybody and, but again, I never really knew why I was listening to them. And so then when I started a new channel in 2020, I made it one of my mission statements to just, if I would say this to you as a friend, then why wouldn't I say it to you online? Like, I don't know what, of course, if you're going to be a lawyer, if you're going to be a dentist, like that's a different thing. But I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be, you know, in front of the camera. So in that sense, that is my forte, you know, saying, saying everything that I want to say Personally, I would, or privately, I would say publicly as well. And so when I was doing the Damon and Joe channel, which was a few years ago, um, this was a channel that got over a million subscribers. It was really fun. We had such a good time together. Um, but there was one thing that we kind of disagreed on, which was more of maintaining our, our private personal life, keeping that separate from public life. And that meant everything from who we were dating, um, maybe family relationships. And it was always really interesting to me because when I would meet subscribers on the street, like if you get recognized in the coffee shop or at the club, I would be so buddy, buddy with them. I would be so friendly with them. And I would really tell them like, 
really everything that was happening in my life. I would say, oh my God, did you, like, I guess what, I'm going on this date right now. I'll tell you how it goes like later on Instagram. And then I realized like, wait, if I'm telling my subscribers in real life, what this, what, what's going on in my life, why wouldn't I tell them online? Like there was, there was a disconnect there for me. Like why, why am I telling, it was almost as if my true self was myself on the street with the subscribers or with my friends, but then when I go online, yeah, maybe I'd hold things back. And it was only because other people had told me, oh, maybe you don't want to say this to everybody. But then I would be like, well, why not? I'm really big on honesty. You know, the truth will set you free. And uh, if you, I just don't know why we all kind of maintain um, public personas or public images if that's not who we, if that's not how we communicate when we're right in front of each other, you know? Even, I mean, I've said this in a video as well. I have a series on my YouTube channel called Red Wine Talks where we drink red wine, the entire bottle, but then we're also kind of getting, you know, the conversation's kind of flowing, you're getting a little bit more fluid. And uh, we talk about philosophy and love. And there was one episode where I talked about, I even have a problem with formal language in emails <laughs> because I think it can come across as a little too formal sometimes. I don't know why we would be so formal in email, but then when we're, we meet the person face to face, we wouldn't, we wouldn't talk like that. So it's almost like a, a fake or a false, false persona. I don't know that we, we put on, it's like a fake role that we put on online. But then when we're with our friends and family or we meet that person face to face, we, we aren't that person. It's, I don't know. It's very bizarre and interesting to talk about. I love that you've brought up personas because I think it's something that a lot of, it's actually a technique that I feel a lot of language learners do where they essentially have a persona that they portray in a language or at least to kind of get started in the language to help making the transition into it. Have you found that you've done that at all? Or do you have any techniques similar to that that you might use? Putting on a persona, I mean, it could help you when, a, when you're learning a foreign language. I know when I am speaking different languages, I guess my personality changes a little bit. I always try to, you know, stay true to who I am. But it's, again, it's really interesting when you put your, your true personality into French, into Portuguese, and you see how people react because it's not always the same. As I mentioned before, I think a lot of times when I'm in Paris, sometimes if I were to be my good old hearty American self, the French people, some or Parisians, we're talking Paris here, a lot of times they won't react in the same way than like my American friends would. Um, in Paris, at least, I feel like they're a lot more elegant, um, they're a lot more philosophical, a lot more refined, a lot more reserved. The second I get a little too loud, they'll they'll call me out on that. Um, you're a little bit too obnoxious right now. Or in Portuguese, geez, they're such a fun group of people, the Brazilians. So I know that I could turn up my my fun, animated, energetic side. And it's really interesting because I've always been drawn to Portuguese and French, specifically Parisian culture and I mean really anything in Brazil. But I always feel like they're complete opposites as well. So I think me as an American, I'm kind of in the middle. And then if I go more Brazilian, I get more lively. Somehow I'm like, I'm, I'd start teasing people more in the language. Cause I think also they're a little bit more receptive to joking around and everyone is so happy. If you've ever met a Brazilian, best energy ever. <laughs> Brazilian, they definitely take that, take that crown, take that trophy. This is the problem with language learning. I don't know if you guys feel this way. I don't know what the expression is that takes the cake, takes the, takes the cake. That's what it is. I always have these issues. So that's the Brazilian side. But then maybe if I'm in Paris, I get more, yeah, I start to get like a little bit quieter. I remember when I was with my ex and I'd go to, I'd go to hang out with all of his friends. I would get so quiet 
And I don't know if that had something to do with the language or just the different cultures. Um, maybe I felt like they were judging me too much. I don't know. Maybe that's also me projecting. There's so many ways you could take these conversations, but I think having a persona, whether you're aware of it or not, definitely happens when they're shining. Yeah. And as well as having different personas in the different languages, you have, like you said, different dynamics with people. And uh, since, like you were saying, you're you're open about your life and you're happy to to share these things with people. Um, one thing that I guess I, we wouldn't necessarily be able to ask a lot of people in, in a podcast like this that I am very curious about, like because you say you, you brought it up in your language classes, is what has been uh, the situation with dating people who do not speak your native language. How have you found that different to your experience dating other English speakers and uh, what interesting stories have come out of that in terms of the dynamics of having that deeper relationship with somebody who is not a native English speaker like yourself. Right. Yeah. First of all, th- these are the questions where I like. <laughs> these are the questions I like. Um, so on my channel, I have a, a series called Dating with Damon where I go through my dates. And the thing is, I used to have a rule. This is such a nonsense rule. But my rule... And again, this is a joke. This is a joke, but I, I don't date Americans, which I'm, I'm an American. But the reason I said that was because I, I'm so interested in other cultures and there's so much more to see out there. And I wanted to see the world through a different perspective. Of course, I did that with my ex. And again, it's kind of a, a joke, another gimmick on my YouTube channel that I bring my ex up. <laughs> in every video. Um, and we're really good friends now. So he even knows he's in on the joke. It's a whole thing. Um, but I think it's really interesting when you date somebody who's not from your culture or who is not, whose native language is not the same as yours, because you're, you're finally like melting away the layers of your reality, of your cultural filter, of your linguistic filter, and finally phrasing things in a different way, or you're just viewing the world, viewing the life that you thought was only viewed with one set of glasses on. Now you have multi lenses. And I think that's really interesting. Um, Anyway, so on Dating with Damon, the whole point here was that in each episode, I was telling a dating story from my experience with a guy from a different country. So in one episode, it's Tunisia. In one episode, it's Russia. In one episode, it's Brazil. And in another one, it's French, uh, France. And so each of them are so different. One, because we're all conditioned by the culture we grew up in, by our native language. Um, and that determines a lot, you know, like from what food we like to what music we listen to, to how we just speak in general. If I look at this painting in front of me, I would be like, wow, that's so beautiful. Whereas a French person, their first thought might be pas mal. And like, even that, when you look at it linguistically, it's like, why did I go straight for like beautiful, amazing, but they would probably go more for like a pas mal. Does that mean that they need more of their standards higher? You know, like, I don't know, there are all these questions that I just spend all day researching what yeah what is there anything else you want to know about the dating stuff well, I, I i just i think it's great that you're so open about it but like have there been any clashes that have kind of come into play because of language issues well one funny thing that i remember was when i would get into an argument with my ex and together, again we were together for six years so there were a lot of you know really good moments but also you know there's tension in every relationship and it was really funny because when we would start, you know, yelling or getting really upset, I would revert to English like immediately. He would revert back to back to French and we would just be kind of yelling. But at the same time, we both understood the other one. And then if you really wanted to make them understand, you would switch to their language. Um, that's, again, when you know your language skills have really 
improved in Excel when you can yell at somebody and defend yourself in that language. Luckily, I can do that in French now, thanks to him. <laughs> but uh, geez, I remember one time as well, we were together and we were with one of his best friends who was from Germany. So here we had three people in the room, me, the American, he, a French guy, and she, uh, the German girl. And I said something like, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it all, which is something we say in the States. And they were so taken aback that that was even an expression because to them, critique is what you do to show that you've thought about a situation, that you've analyzed it. And it's not just that we're only going to go around saying nice things to each other. We can also critique our friends and the people that we care about. And that's something that from my Midwestern household, you just I don't think it's that we're against critiques. It's just kind of like, why are you bringing the mood down right now when you don't have to? Like, we don't, we don't need to say all these, all the, all the negatives right now. Let's stay in the positive. And that, that's again a very, I think, American way to look at this. And, but who knows? Maybe it's all connected and maybe it goes back to the linguistics, the, how French sometimes goes for the negative, where we would go for maybe a more exaggerated answer. Amazing. This is so great. Um, I don't know. Those are our amplifiers. You've touched on this a little bit in your last answer and about how in speaking all of these languages and interacting with people who speak them, that you've kind of gotten new perspective on things. But would you say that any of the languages that you've learned have shaped who you are today? When I look through the languages that I've, I've studied, I'm not going to say learned. I'm going to say studied because I don't, I definitely don't speak this one, but I've taken a few Russian classes. And the thing that always intrigued me about Russian was that it seems like the entire world has an opinion about Russia. But it was really interesting when I would travel and meet Russians, they were really, really, really open-minded and they were really warm. And that was not at all the impression that I had heard from the media. And so it really intrigued me. And I wanted to learn, again, their worldview from their language, not from the one person who might speak really fluent English, who, who knows what their political background is or cultural background is. So I really wanted to speak directly to them via Russian. Now, I only lasted about six classes, but I really, really tried. So with the example of Russian, it definitely reminded me that just because we think one way in English or we've been taught to think one thing about the world from our country's perspective, when you actually meet the people on the ground and you're speaking to them in their language, you you, your worldview opens again. It's like your, your reality, this illusion like melts away and you're like, wow, it isn't just this way that the world is. So it's definitely shaped me in that language learning has shaped me in that way that it's reminded me that the world is more than just the viewpoint that we grew up in. So, um, in, in terms of like, what are your plans for the future, both for your, your business and your, your YouTube channel, your, language learning missions and like what languages do you think you may consider learning in future and what places would you like to travel to? Wow. That question could go on forever. <laughs> um, Damon D's plans for the future. Well, travel's always on the list. That's number one, always will be the priority going to different places that I, one that I wanted to go and two that I never wanted to go. And then it changed in my opinion. I've always wanted to travel the world, even since I was a little kid, again, watching the real world, um, it's always been my dream to travel. So as soon as, you know, we're able to travel, I will be the first one doing it. Hopefully I had it on my bucket list to go to, I need to see more of the African continent. I need to, I've been all over the world, but I've only been to two countries in Africa. So I need to see more of the, more of that continent. Um, I had it in my mind to go to Russia. That's why I was learning Russian. Still love to go up there. Um, would love to visit Turkey. 
the the initial like obvious cities have I've hit those. I've done the Paris and the London and the Tokyos, LA's. I've done all those, but I, now it's more of the what excites me in terms of making videos online is going to the places that you don't really see people going to that often. At least not. I don't know, Americans. So I'm talking countries like Kazakhstan or Namibia, uh, Papua New Guinea. Like these are the places that really intrigue me. And what intrigues me is that I don't really know much about it. And I would love to go there and be like, I could have so easily been born here and my life would have looked so different. And I think that's really important. So to realize, you know, where we're born, we didn't choose that. So I think I definitely want to travel. I want to keep making my YouTube videos. I've always loved making videos. I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and then of course I've always wanted to expand. I like working with a team of people. I know that my production skills and as we can hear my, my skills with production, like audio and video, not the best. Um, and I would like to work with somebody who, who enjoys doing that kind of stuff. So I would like to work with a team. Um, right now I have a video assistant who really helps me, but I would like to have somebody who actually likes to, you know, determine if we need F stop here and shutter speed and what ISO the shot should be. That's the person I need. So where do I go from here? I, I keep traveling. I want to keep learning languages on my list right now is to really perfect my German. And recently I've been really intrigued by Arabic. My struggle though, when it comes to language learning is these languages where there are so many options. Spanish, for example, when you're first starting out in Spanish, you're like, I want to learn Spanish. Yeah. And then everyone's like, but what kind of Spanish? Um, Spain, Spanish, Guatemalan, Spanish, Ecuadorian, Spanish. And you're just starting out. So you don't know. Um, and then maybe you start learning one <laughs> a year from now. You're like, wait, I actually want to learn this one. That's where I kind of get tripped up. So I'm, I'm feeling that with Arabic right now. Uh, I don't know which dialect I want to exactly learn, but um, here in Paris, I'm exposed to Arabic quite often. You see it in the French language all the time, um, the influence. So I definitely want to start studying Arabic, uh, German, maybe get into, into some Russian. I don't know if Russian will be a language that I learn fluently, but I definitely find it interesting. What else? Take all this to the next level via a production company. We're partnering with a production company who can fill in where I'm really terrible, which is, as we can hear, production. One of the questions that we always like to ask the guests who come on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, is what is your definition of language hacking? My definition of language hacking is to stop what you're doing. Look at what you already say in your native language naturally. Look at your messages on dating apps. Look at your voice notes. Are there certain words that you say often? Are there certain constructions, ways you phrase your sentences? Are there slang words that you use? That's what you need to learn first in the first 30 days. Those are the things I think you need to focus on because those are the ways you naturally speak. Um, I think the issue comes in when you're trying to mimic how a book speaks. That's like going to New York City and you're just in New York, but you're trying to pick up New York City, New York City English, but you don't want to speak New York City English. You just want to speak English. So I think when you, I think when you follow a book at times, you can get tripped up because you're trying to speak how the book speaks and not how you speak. So in terms of language hacking, I would say, look at how you speak your native language naturally and learn that first. Very good. So I've really enjoyed this, uh, this chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And of course, we'll make sure that anyone who wants to uh, see more about your stuff online, they'll find all of the links to your social media in our show notes for today's episode. So uh, thank you very much. 
And until the next time, we're going to wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Thank you. All right. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we learned in our chat with our guest. And these tend to be things that are immediately actionable so that you can implement them into your language learning right away and try something new after listening to the episode this week. So I'm going to go ahead and start, Benny, if you don't mind. Mm hmm. Go for it. So the thing that he shared was actually during his, I guess, language hacking summary. And he was talking about how important it is to speak like yourself in another language. And this really resonated with me because a lot of the time, the advice that you hear is model native speakers, speak like native speakers, use the language a native speaker would use. But really, I find that even when I speak other languages, I tend to default to certain things that I want to be able to say. Um, as you know, in our weekly chats, I say things like actually, basically, I'd love to know an awful lot. So those are things that I kind of want to oh, kind of there's another one that I tend to want to default back to when I'm speaking another language. I, I want to be able to say actually in, you know, whatever language it is that I'm learning, because it's a phrase that comes quite naturally to me. And it's something that helps me feel more comfortable when I'm speaking a language. So that was the thing that Damon said that really kind of stood out to me. So if you're listening to this podcast, my suggestion would be think about those sorts of things that you say in your native language, and then go figure out how to say them in the language that you're learning. What about you, Benny? What was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, for me, the takeaway is um, more along the online content creation. And I know for people who are listening, this can be relevant if you're doing something like our Fluent Three Months Challenge, where you have to put videos of yourself online. And it can it's something that I've struggled with over the years. And I've been making videos since uh, uh, before Damon was. And um, it's always important to remember that it is, you do have to be true to yourself. And if you're trying to present yourself in another language to like, I, I like that he said that he has this sense of entertainment with languages and with presenting himself and feeling like he's connecting with those he's making videos with on a personal level. So if anybody is, uh, who's like me is uploading content in and about other languages, then always think about the person who's watching this video could be, a f just think of them like a friend and you'll be able to open up and not feel judged that everybody is critiquing everything you're saying and that maybe you can share parts of your personal life. And uh, I like how much Damon has embraced this concept and I'm hoping to take some inspiration from that. Mm, yeah, that's really good advice. All right. To wrap up this episode, you can find the show notes for everything mentioned, all of the tips and resources at languagehacking.com and in the description for this episode of the podcast. And again, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us your reviews at languagehacking.com slash review. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. 
find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.